Hello, hello everyone and welcome back. This is Cashlyn Perry and this is Liberated Podcast. This is the fourth episode and I'm really excited for this episode. Um, today we are going to be telling Stockton's story and it's the first episode that I'm doing with a guest which I'm really excited about. And as you've heard in previous episodes, I've been really anxious about telling Stockton's story because I want to make sure to get it right and do him justice and all of the good things. And so I thought there's no better way to tell his story than to have both of his parents come on. And so I asked Jake, which is his dad, um, if he would do this with me. And he said, yes, So I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today. So say hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Are you so excited to be here? I'm so excited. Okay, so I think this one is going to be really interesting because I think a lot of people are very interested about our dynamic, so it's probably going to be fascinating. If you've listened, you know that uh, Jake and I are not together, um, but we have an awesome relationship and friendship and co-parenting relationship, and we've been through, you're going to about to find out, we've been through a lot together, and so we really value our friendship, and so I'm excited to kind of, I guess, see that dynamic. I think people are confused by it. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Jake's a little bit nervous. No, I'm excited. I appreciate you uh, offering me and uh, having me on here. I think I think what's really interesting and is going to be the most interesting about this is is the different dynamic that we both have, and I think I think it's going to be interesting because I, while Stockton was alive, was always very vocal about my experience. And Jake's a lot quieter, and even after his passing, I'm very vocal about my grief, and I'm like, I like to talk about it. It's really healing for me, and Jake is the opposite. The opposite. Polar <laughs> opposite, yeah. Absolutely. So I think it's a really good way for people to see that two people really can go through the same thing and experience it very differently. Yeah, very differently. And and one way is not more right than the other way. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's very healing for me to talk about it and to like let things out and it's not that for Jake. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. He keeps things close to the chest. All right. So really quickly before we jump into this, I do need to say, um, well, first and foremost, actually, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you to everyone for all of the feedback and all the support so far on the podcast. I really appreciate it. All the shares, all the reviews, everything has been really awesome to see. And I truly, truly do appreciate that. So thank you. And then I also have to state uh, everything that we say in here is based on our own opinions, our own experiences. You know, we're not like, we're just real people. We're not giving any advice or anything. This is just our story and our experience with our son. So I need to make sure to state that. And then outside of that, I guess we'll just dive right on in. I know you, I've talked a little bit about Stockton on, on a couple of episodes um, but we're going to try and, and just dive into his story. It's going to take a f probably a couple podcast episodes because it's very long and we both want to make sure that we do him justice and his story justice. And we don't want to like skip over anything that's important or anything like that. So we are going to definitely have to do this in a couple of episodes, but we will try to try, try to move through it. All right. So first, do you have anything to say before we start? Um, just real quick, I just, you know, I, I'm impressed with you writing with your right hand. Uh, you write better with your right hand than I do with my right hand. And I'm right-handed. So uh, you've done really well with that. So good job on that. Uh, so we've been prepping for this. We've been going back through his whole life, which has been nice that I do document so much because it's been 
I guess, easier to build a timeline to prepare for this. So as you guys heard in my last episode, I broke my hand, I had surgery, I'm left-handed, broke my left hand. So I have pages and pages of notes all in written with my right hand and it's it's gonna be a little difficult, but it is for sure better than your hand. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's been good to go back because I mean, this wasn't too long ago, but it does almost feel like a lifetime ago. It feels like a different yeah, life. A whole different life. Like yeah. it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a different, different life. So it's been good to go back and go through these. Okay. So another thing, sorry, I feel like we're just like giving all these disclaimers before we start. Another thing is obviously we're looking back at this in hindsight where we know how everything went and we know how everything ended, but at the time of of his of when all of this was happening, we didn't know that. So you have to keep that in mind that we did not know then what we know now. So telling the story will try really hard to to make that make sense, I guess. But it's I think it's I think it's gonna be a really interesting looking back because there are things I would do differently. Yeah, absolutely. And there are things that I wish I, you know, of course, like everyone, hindsight is twenty twenty. So I think there are a lot of things that I wish I would have known. And I wish I could have done better had I had the opportunity. Uh, we were 22 when we had Stockton. Very young. Uh, so we were children. We were children. And we were just trying to navigate this crazy, crazy world. So let's see. I've got the timeline and talk as yeah, much as you want. Sure. Tell Absolutely. me to shut up. It's fine. Um. All right, so we're going to go all the way back. We're going to rewind all the way back to 2014. Obviously, during the timeline of this story, we were still together. So that's, <laughs> that's yeah. important to note. Um, okay, so 2014, um, I was already pregnant. In January of 2014, why did I almost say 2020? Um, January of 2014, we went in for our 20-week ultras. That's why. 20-week ultrasound. 20 ultrasound. We went in for the 20-week ultrasound. And... Uh, we were very excited. You guys listened to my story. You know that I had had a lot of struggle and I really had thought this was where life was going to get easier. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that. Yeah. I mean, of course you're excited too. It's just, I and mean, we've had Dallas and to give him a little brother is exciting. It was really exciting. I was, you know, I was halfway done and we were, of course, when you're pregnant, you're dreaming up of what your child's going to look like, what are they going to be interested in, what are they going to, like, do for their hobbies, the whole thing. You, like, you have this whole life that you picture for your child. Uh, so we were definitely in that phase. Um, and then, do you remember this ultrasound? I I feel like I do. Um, I feel like I do, yeah. I feel so, like it's one of those memories that, that I still have. So we were in the ultrasound room, and and... They were doing everything, and it was the, the technician, and she, like, paused. And she went out and got someone else and had them had them come in to check because they found something on the ultrasound. And they came in to check, and the techs, they can't actually tell you anything. They're not allowed to diagnose officially, so they can't tell the patient what they're seeing. Right. Uh, so they just came in and said... <laughs> We need you to go to maternal fetal medicine, um, so the specialists, and get a more in-depth ultrasound. And we were like, do you remember this? We were like, why? Like, what did you find? What is there? And they were like, we can't tell you, but you need to go there right now. And the urgency that they said, like, we're sending you there right now, I was like, oh my gosh, they found something horrible. 
this is like, I was freaking out. And they sent us to maternal fetal medicine and they found club foot. And then I remember being so overwhelmed, but also kind of being a little bit pissed because I was like, you guys made me feel like, like he had, like my baby had something like very serious, like, like life-threatening yeah i guess your your mind goes instantly to the worst and so not that not that clubfoot isn't serious because it is a whole big thing well and at the time for us i don't think we realized really what clubfoot was i remember doing a bunch of research and finding out like athletes had it but at the time but at the time they were like you need to go here right now and the sense of urgency made me feel like he had something life-threatening and so then i remember being a little bit pissed when i was like he like gave me a full panic attack um so they diagnosed him with clubfoot. We didn't know what it was. We did a lot of research. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I am a planner. I like lists and I like to be prepared for a lot of things. And I always tease and say that I have backup plans for my backup plans. That's would you say that's true? That's very true. Absolutely. <laughs> so um we found out about Clubfoot. I think we both read everything on the internet that exists about Clubfoot. I called uh we live in, in Utah. And I called uh, Shriners. You remember this? Oh, yeah. I called Shriners and I booked a tour because the Shriners where we live specializes in orthopedics. And I, like, researched all the different types of methods that you could correct club foot. And I settled, well, we settled on the Ponsetti method, which is serial casting. So they stretch the feet as far as they can and then they'll put it in a cast to hold for a week. And then you'll get weekly cast change and that's the Ponsetti method. And so I called Shriners and booked a tour and we drove down there and I was still pregnant. I was like probably 22 weeks pregnant yeah, at this time. We, yeah, it was, it was pretty early. <laughs> Just pretty early. <laughs> Do you remember? They were like, I think you're our youngest patient. Yeah. And I like yeah. made him take me through the whole thing and I made him take me to the casting room. And I just needed that for peace of mind so that I knew what to be prepared for. Right. If that makes any sense. And Jake was a good sport because he just like, this chick is neurotic and crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, I think we weren't really sure what to expect. So to get prepared was good though. Yeah, for you, finding out that like multiple athletes had a club foot was really encouraging. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because it was uh, me and him had club foot and then a football player. I want to say Troy. Troy, yeah, yeah, Troy yeah. Aikman? Yeah. A- Aiken? Aikman. Aikman. <laughs> Troy. <laughs> Troy Aikman. <laughs> Um, I had clubfoot. So then we were, we were feeling pretty good about clubfoot, like after the tour, especially, and after reading everything, I ordered like all these cast covers to prevent like chafing and all this stuff. And I was ready. We were ready to kick some clubfoot butt. Yeah. I, I think we were still pretty nervous about it though too. Pretty but, nervous, but also yeah. like I felt prepared. Did yeah. you? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and so, but after that, what was interesting is we went to maternal fetal medicine every month for the remainder of the pregnancy and they didn't find anything nothing, else they found nothing else so sorry, yeah. which is will make more sense when we explain uh the rest of his story but so they didn't find anything else so we were just like okay this is this is this is what we have to deal with um and then what happened let's see i've got notes so and then i i kept going into labor i kept going into early labor and eventually I was having a lot of bleeding issues. Uh, I had a placental abruption. So my uterus was tearing or placenta was tearing off of the uterus. 
I think that's what it is, if I remember correctly. Um, but so I was actually admitted to the hospital on bed rest at, I don't know, I don't even remember, but I was there for about five weeks yeah, on bed rest. And then I remember sitting there being like, once we get out of this hospital, like we live in this hospital and who knew, who knew that that was just the start. Yeah. Um, but so I was on bed rest for weeks in the hospital away from Dallas. It was, it was pretty tough. I would say. Um, and then Stockton was born three weeks early. So he was born on May 5th, 2014. He weighed 712. Um, he was, do you remember? I don't remember. Will you just like jump in because. I'm, well, you're, you're the great storyteller. I'm, I will, I will chime in. Okay. I, I didn't think I would be as nervous, but now that we're here. It's making me a little nervous, but we'll get there. We'll get They're there. all probably like, will you shut up and let him yeah. talk? This is the story of my life. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we're good. Keep going. Okay, so then Stockton was born. Okay, so Stockton was born, and um, they took him to the NICU for like a couple hours. Like, he did not go there very long. But I remember them coming in, um, our doctor, which I'm, I'm we probably shouldn't say doctors. Probably not say doctors. Okay, so the pediatrician that was on call when Stockton was born is the pediatrician that we stuck with for his whole life and is still That's our great. current pediatrician. Yeah. Um, we adore him. Um, but the pedi- so he's still Dallas and Liberty's doctor as well. But he came in and it was interesting because my sister Bree. Yeah, Bree. Yeah. She it's came. One of my favorite stories <laughs> ever. Yeah. yeah, you tell it then. Well, so Bree got to see Stockton before anybody. Um, Lean in closer. To and me. she was so excited to tell us about how Stockton wouldn't stop holding her hand and how tight of a grip he had, and she was just like amazed. And she was like, "He loves me so much. Me he so won't much. let go of my hand. Yeah, he has the strongest grip." And we're like, oh, that's cute. Like, I hadn't, I hadn't even visited him. She was, like, literally the first person. Yeah. And so she was telling us about how great his, his hand strength was. and he wasn't... She was so proud of, of him holding her hand. <laughs> and then the doctor came in and was like, um, so Stockton has clubfoot. You guys know. Well, because he didn't know that we knew about the clubfoot. So I remember this. He came in and he said, what do you guys know about your son? And we're like, yeah, we know he has crooked feet, like. That's cool. Yeah. We're, we're good with that. Yeah. And he was like, okay, well, what else do you know? Do you remember this? Yeah. yeah. And he was like, we were like, uh, we know nothing. We know nothing else. And so then he was like, well, he, he has, a, a Arthrogryphosis. Did you forget or you're waiting No, for because I'm trying to remember. Because I remember he's mentioned like clinodactyly, which is like contracted yeah, fingers. So I think at first he said clinodactyly. And then, like, late, and then went to research and then came back to give us an arthrogryposis diagnosis. And if you don't know what arthrogryposis is, it is congenital joint contractures. So, when Stockton could not let go of his aunt's hand, it was, it was because he couldn't. Yeah. He, his hands were, in, were, were contracted into fists, and so he was unable to, to move them and to use them. And so that's a story that we like to tease about sometimes. Um, so they gave us the arthrogryposis diagnosis yeah. and I think we were overwhelmed, but we handled it a little bit better because we had done so much research about clubfoot. Right. And arthrogryposis, um, I mean, it definitely affects your life, your quality of life. Like it affects a lot of things that you can do, but you mentally are there physically phys- yeah. like, and, and it's a lot of times requires a lot of casting and 
like splinting and surgeries and things and it's definitely not easy it is a, i'm not gonna ever say that it's difficult but we felt like okay we can do this too so we felt okay in taking that on and then he when he was born he threw up a ton he he was throwing up everything that he would eat he would throw up but it would come out of his nose do you remember this yeah um, and they just thought it's typical infant reflux. He's going to grow out of this. Um, we're not really sure why it's coming out of his nose, but just make sure that you hold him up. Like right. we had to hold him upright right. nonstop. And so, but he didn't like, he was sent home from the hospital on a normal timeline. Like it was like, we were there for like a day or two. Yeah. And he was sent home from the hospital. He was sent home on lights. Uh, he'd had jaundice. So he was sent home on the light bed. And then every time we would feed him, we would have to hold him up so we would take shit so that he wouldn't um so that he wouldn't aspirate his feeds right so we would take shifts sitting and holding him up for hours and then my mom took shifts my sister do you, you remember we had a bunch of people yeah, that were rotating through, rotating through yeah. to make sure that he was he was keeping his feeds down and wasn't aspirating them uh, so we did that for about a week, and then at his week follow-up appointment, our pediatrician sent us down to our local children's hospital, primary children's hospital, and he, for a swallow study. Right. They were like, well, this is, he had lost like over a pound yeah, in that first week. Weight, he yeah. he looked like a complete, because he was born, he was pretty chubby, he had like these fat little cute cheeks. Yeah, he was a little chubby little boy, especially three weeks early. Yeah, yeah, yeah for three weeks early, seven, twelve, like he was a big chunky little thing. And so they sent us down to primaries and they did a swallow study, immediately failed, immediately admitted to the hospital. He was nine days old. Um, and then they put in a feeding tube. They put in an NG, NG to start. So an NG tube goes through the nose and it's nasal gastric, I believe. Um, so it, it ends in the stomach so that you get your feeds so we got that and they said he's gonna he, we were he's there for a few days and they're like he's gonna grow out of this he just has like pretty significant infant GERD or no sorry not GERD yet I'm, like, I'm jumping ahead I'm jumping ahead um so, but they said he's gonna grow out of this he's yeah, gonna grow out of this nothing looks yeah he'll have a feeding tube in his nose for like a little bit and then he's gonna until he starts catching on and figuring it out but we still had to, like, keep him propped up so that he wouldn't vomit it. Because he was vomiting. He was just puking like crazy, like crazy. And then he was aspirating it because it would all when he would puke, it would only come out of his nose. Which was crazy. All right. So he got sent home from the hospital. Thought, you can jump in at any time. You're good. This, okay. uh, we're the, there's a lot to tell. You're good. I know. Yeah. Okay. And so then we went home from the hospital. And then I have, like, the timeline right here. So June 2nd of 2014 he got his first cast on his legs to start correcting his club foot um and they were they, the the cats for club foot they go toe to hip so they're i mean there's whole leg both legs uh and they they do that weekly they do that every single week and then at the end of june he got his hand splints on his fingers to to work on his the, the arthrogryposis in his hands so he got his first hand sprint sprints splints and then let's see here all right so they said he was gonna grow out of this he's gonna grow out of this so now we're looking at the end of june so he's almost two months old at this point we're looking at the end of june he had not stopped vomiting his pediatrician 
is a huge advocate for him. He was a huge advocate for him his whole life. We went in, we had called a million times and we were just like, what do we do? He's not outgrowing this. He is actually still losing weight. In that time period, he pulled out his feeding tube like a bunch of times. Do you remember when they put the anchor on? Yeah. So like he kept the, the feeding tube was in his nose and it, it in that time period also got switched to an NJ tube which bypasses the stomach and goes into the jejunum because he was puking so much. So they needed to make sure that he got the feeds and the nutrition. Right. So they bypassed the stomach. But that made it so that when he was vomiting, he was just vomiting his bile and his stomach acid. Uh, So he, and it would come out of his nose and it would just, his whole face was just raw. Just burn it. And it would just burn it. And he would do it so many times a day. He would do it like, well, I have the number down, but we're not there yet. So he would do it a lot. He would do it a lot, a lot, a lot. And so we got to the point where we were just desperate. He was miserable. He was still losing weight. You got to get in the. Um, he was still losing weight. And so we were just desperate. So we called our pediatrician and said, what do we do? And he said, why don't you just take him to the ER and demand that they figure this out? And so I was like, okay, so we drive down. We go to the ER, and this is when I probably started to, like, Mama Bear started to come out. Would you say? Yeah, yeah I would say that, yeah. I, I have a track record of being... Well, I think it's hard with, like, the medical industry. I feel like it, you got to go to your pediatrician, and he's got to get you an appointment. like A I referral. Th- a referral, so I, I feel it's like... It's a whole process. It is a whole process, and I feel like with our doctor, Stockton was a lot for him. It was, you know, he was very supportive, but he didn't have the answers either, so... So he like, would always tell us, go to the ER. And that was honestly the best, best uh-huh. thing that we could because have Because it bypassed the whole referral right. process. Uh, so he sent us down to the ER, and they, and I threw a fit, because they're just like, he's going to grow out of this, he's going to grow out of this, just be patient, whatever. And I was, and his face is bleeding because he's puking so much, all of this acid. So I threw a tantrum and demanded, like, some testing. So they admitted him. Um, and then they started really looking into him and they're like, okay, he's two months old. He's weighing this much. And this is when they started, because we're you have to remember we were kids. Yeah, yeah. We were young. So they're thinking we're just these paranoid parents who have this baby with like typical reflux. And they didn't believe anything. Right. And then I'm getting stressed. So I'm getting angry, and so, which makes them probably take me seriously even less. less. Yeah. Because I just look like this like bratty 22 year old kid who doesn't know like right well and then based off of their books that they read everything's normal so yeah yeah yeah. and so so i throw fit they admit him and and they he he had like some oxygen stuff so they put him on oxygen he was struggling he was really struggling like we weren't just being crazy and they did a ph probe study do you remember this and so a ph probe study it goes up the nose and down into the esophagus, and then every time you have a vomiting episode, it it measures the frequency and the acidity of it. So he, they did that for 24 hours, and in that 24 hours, he vomited straight acid. You have to remember, this is pure acid, 178 times. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Like That's crazy. That is so crazy. And so then finally, they're like, oh. Okay, they that's like that, maybe that's not normal, and they start they they started backtracking a little bit, so they scheduled an MRI to look for what was causing 
his issues because he's having, he's two months old almost. He's having all these delays. He can't keep feeds down. And so they did an MRI to see, and they found the Chiari. Yeah. Do you want to explain what Chiari is? You go ahead. You're, you have <laughs> you're the expert. I'm not an expert. No, you're good. Okay, so they did an MRI of his brain to see what could be causing these issues. And he they found an Arnold Chiari. Ki- I can't dunk. Um, an Arnold Chiari malformation, which which is, is a condition in which your brain is tilted and it puts pressure on the brainstem. And that could have accounted for a lot of his issues. Right. Um, and so, but, but they don't, like, a lot of people, it's, Chiari is actually, like, quite common. And not everyone needs it fixed. And because it's a brain surgery, we didn't want to just jump straight to a Chiari decompression. So we did get that diagnosis, the Chiari diagnosis, but we weren't, we and the doctors were not, like, ready to jump into brain right. surgery. Right. So then they did a scope to look for a structural issue because they couldn't figure out exactly why the vomit was coming through the nose instead of the mouth. Uh, scope was totally fine. Yeah. Didn't find anything. Could not explain why. And I'm like, oh, that's really weird. This doesn't make any sense structurally. You remember that? We yeah. used to get that all the time. This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. Well, they end up calling it like Stockton, Stockton Syndrome. Stockton Syndrome. I think I wrote that down. I think I think we. I think that's down the road. Yeah. But... um. Sorry, we're adjusting. Seating. Okay, so they did a scope. They didn't find anything. And then because of the frequency of the vomiting and how much weight he was losing, and he was that this is when he got the failure to thrive diagnosis, GERD, um, gastroesophageal reflux disease. He got that diagnosis as well. So that's as well. So that's GERD, it's gastroesophageal reflux disease. Uh, and they decided to bring in a general surgery and to do a Nissen fundiplication. Do you want to explain what that is? Um, no, you're good. <laughs> you're I'm good. just talking you're all the time. Okay, so a Nissen is a surgery in which they tie off the valve between the esophagus and the stomach, and it's supposed to make it so that you're not able to vomit anymore. So he would be able to hold feeds down, and theoretically should be able to hold feeds down and shouldn't be able to puke past them. And it's so interesting to think back because I don't know if you remember this, but like I was so stressed about him getting this Nissen because they were like, he won't be able to puke. I'm like, well, sometimes in life you need to puke. puke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what if he goes, like he's going to go on like and live a normal, healthy life and he's never going to be able to puke when he's like, that's miserable. Sometimes you just need to get it. I remember having like this whole complex about him. And thinking, like, what if he grows up and, like, is a hooligan and needs to puke, you know? Like, do you remember this? Yeah. yeah. Because we thought he was going to lead a normal life. We didn't know. And so these were, like, real things. I remember this is, like, off track, but it just came to mind. I also remember, like, when he got the arthrogryposis diagnosis, do you remember I was... I was devastated because I was like, what if he loves baseball Baseball, and he can't put his hand in a baseball glove? And you have to go through, I know I'm, I'm getting off track a little bit, but this kind of what I want to do with this is like to discuss how it was to find out for both of us to find out all of, all of these things. But I remember being devastated because I was like, what if he loves this and he's not able to do it? Um, and he mentally will know and I remember really struggling with that. You have to go through when you have a child with um, d- disabilities, in my opinion, obviously, you you have to go through a grieving process because you have to grieve the life that you 
dreamed for your child or yeah. what you thought they would have. And I remember going through that with the hands, but also to circle back when they were doing this Nissan, I was really worried about that because sometimes you just got to puke. Right. And still at this time, we, we still assume he's going to have a normal, a normal childhood just with some some issues but yeah yeah like he was definitely gonna have his struggles he was definitely gonna have major significant struggles with his with his joint contractures and with all of these things that he would have for the rest of his life but overall we thought he's gonna be okay we believe that and then okay so then they also decided the same same time as the nissen he had three hernias so they were gonna do three hernia repairs and then place a g-tube which is another feeding tube, which is actually just placed directly into the stomach. So they they put a hole there and it creates a stoma and you put a, a G-tube as a feeding tube that sits in your stomach. So that in theory with the Nissen, with the Nissen combined with the Nissen was going to keep everything in there and the G-tube would allow it for him to feel full because the feeds would be going back into his stomach now. And with the G-tube, you know, you can air it out. Or, so Yeah, so you, you know, can vent it. Vent so with it. that's something, yeah. So with the G-tube, you, and with a Nissen, you're not really able to get out the air that's in there. So there's, you do something called venting and you, atta- it's, it's like this whole thing, but you. It's like burping them. Basically. It's like, it's like you burp at an infant baby. You burp to get the, the bubbles out yeah. and, but it's how you burp, but you just attach like this little. Empty syringe. Empty syringe yeah. to the feeding tube and it lets the air out. And sometimes it gets crazy. Sometimes, like, you would open to vent and he would, like, cough or something and you just get, like, a formula formula and stomach acid shower. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Or, like, we're getting off track, but that's okay. That's That's the point. Yeah. Um, Or, like, with feeding tubes and things, they can come undone. And so there's a very common thing called feeding the bed. Um, it can come like unplugged or something and it can just, if the feeding pump is running, it can just leak into the bed all night and it's called feeding the bed and it does not smell no, wonderful. No, not at all. Um, but okay. So back, back to the timeline. So on July 7th, 2014, he got his first surgery. So he got the Nissen, the G-tube and the three hernia repairs all at the same time, all at the same time. And then... I, I will not ever forget this because I was pissed. His general surgeon was furious after about the state of his esophagus. Yeah. Because he, it was so right. damaged from all the acid. Do you remember this? Yeah. yeah. He came back in and he was like, why did you guys not bring him in until now? And we were like, dude, check the medical records. We have been complaining about this his entire life. We've been trying to get help for this. Right. And we've been sent home and we've been sent away. And it's been like a whole struggle, but he said that Stockton's whole insides and his whole esophagus looked like hamburger because it was so raw because of all the acid and all the vomiting, which if you think about it, I mean, in just that 24 hour period, 178 episodes of vomiting acid, think about that for two months. Yeah. Like think about the damage that that would do on a body. Uh, So I remember him being super pissed. Um... Outside of that, we're still, you have to remember, we're still casting weekly. Uh, do you, actually, like, there was a hospitalization where he was still getting weekly castings and they got in so much trouble for this because they, like, let us take a day trip, a day trip. to yeah. go. Like, he was inpatient. He was admitted to the hospital and he needed his casts changed. And Shriners was mm, 10 minute drive 
Maybe five. Yeah, not even that. But probably not ten. Yeah. I would say maybe five minutes away. Um, and so they let us take him for a field trip down the road to Shriners, and then we brought him back, and he yeah. was, at, like, back in the hospital, but he was admitted, and it was a big no-no, and uh, I think a lot of people got in trouble, <laughs> if I remember that correctly. But yeah, so he's still he's still casting weekly. He makes it home from that admission. He's supposed to get healthy. He's supposed to get over all this. He's supposed to be fine. He's supposed to lead a normal life. Remember this? Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is early July. End of July, he starts having what looks to us like seizures. And you have to remember, we are 22 years old and we don't know anything about seizures no, no idea. he just we just see our baby like having these episodes that the only thing we can find on the internet to describe them is seizures so we take him down to the hospital tell him we think he's having seizures and they admitted him they did an eeg which measures your brain waves and they said he does have abnormal brain waves he's not having seizures though and we're like What's he having? And what do you mean? They're yeah. like, but you can go home. I'm like, okay, he has abnormal brain waves. He's having these episodes, but you're saying they're not seizures, and you're just sending us home with no information. Yeah, and I think at that time during the hospital visit, he didn't really have any of those like seizure-like things. He just had so... the yeah, and so then we took him home, yeah. and he kept having them. So then we'd call, and they'd be like, "Well, we don't know what to do." So then we started videoing him do you remember yeah. this because we were like we have to get some kind of evidence to show them what's happening because they don't believe anything that we say because we're young and paranoid and we have like this track record of coming in all the time scared um all for valid reasons but they didn't know that at the time and so we start recording him every time he'd have these episodes and i don't know like for me it was like i almost felt like uh like a crappy parent because he'd be going through this and his whole body would be shaking and he'd be screaming. Like, he wouldn't really be screaming, but do you remember the noises? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're definitely a lot minor than what he ended up having later down the road, but it was, it was just exhausting. The context like, of, the, of, of yeah. what we knew and what he had been through, right? Right. And so I remember videoing him and I would just cry because I felt so bad because I wanted to help and all I can do is sit here and record him, but we had to get some sort of evidence, essentially, right. of what was happening. And so, let's see. That happened at the end of July. We're still casting weekly. We're still, um, we're moving into August. He's still having what what looks like seizures, but they're saying they're not seizures, and we don't know what the freak is happening. We're still casting every week. We're splinting every three, four weeks in splint on hand splints and that happens all through august he's not really gaining weight no. even with the nissen even with the g-tube he's not really gaining weight his feeds were continuous feeds so i mean he was being fed 24 7 and then we move into september okay yeah so august august september he had had 11 sets of casts and then he got his achilles procedure so when you're, oh, sorry, I'm turning the page and it's loud. When you're moving to the end of of uh, your casting treatments and you get your Achilles, they sever the, your Achilles tendon and that's called a lengthening because it grows back a little bit longer and that helps 
I mean, I don't, I don't know all the medicine behind it. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a mom. But it makes it, that's, that's part of the correction yeah. is to do that procedure. So he got, the, he got his Achilles on both feet severed of the lengthening procedure and then was put into a brace. No. Yeah. Yeah. Was he put into one more cast after the procedure? In the I, think, I don't know. I think there was one more cast after the procedure. I'm but so sure. for that first series and then the procedure, there was a total of 11 sets of casts. And he had the procedure and then he was moved into a brace. And it looked like a little snowboard. It was so cute. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's see, we're in September now. So September of 2014. I did, I did as I was going through the timeline, I kind of went through like a monthly thing because I figured that might help us stay on track better. So we're moving into September. We have our first genetics appointment, which was exciting, was which exciting, was yeah. so exciting because they're starting to see all these things and they said, okay, well, no, actually they were, they recommended us to genetics with arthrogryposis. Right. Cause that's a genetic, genetic thing. Disorder, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that was like the main reason as to why. That why we were yeah. referred to genetics and right. then all these other things start happening after. Okay. That's right. So we see the geneticist for the first time and we go through a whole thing and it's so fascinating to talk to a geneticist because they're like analyzing like the shape of your earlobes and just they notice everything. Yeah. Do you? And so yeah. they're just like sitting there and looking at Stockton and looking at Jake and looking at me and it's just this whole thing and it's kind of weird. Uh, but they're so smart. Like the brain of a geneticist is fascinating. Um, that's all. That doesn't matter. Um, well, okay, so at this point, we're in September. He weighs nine and a half pounds. So uh, four months old, he weighs nine and a half pounds. Um, so they did, so he's still, you know, not really growing. The geneticist did a microarray, which is like really the first genetic test that you do if you're looking for a genetic condition. It's it's usually the one that usually is going to find something. Find something, yeah, usually. Uh, so... We do that in September. They send it off. It takes a few weeks. We're moving into October. He's still not gaining weight, really. Um, we're worried. We're worried about some vision issues. So we saw ophthalmology in October, and they tell us they don't even know if he can see at all. Oh, so now yeah. we're worried about um, him being potentially blind, as well as everything else. He's still seizing. We're still working on feet. We're still working. Like you have to remember the context of all these new new things happening throughout the course of his life. We're still trying to battle all the other stuff right. Right. simultaneously and, and, and trying to learn and like be adaptable and parent a four-year-old right. at the same time. So this like, it was, it was very overwhelming. We're, we're, I can't say it enough. We're, we're kids at this time. We are children ourselves. So ophthalmology, we're not sure if he can see at all, which like, it felt like the hits just keep on coming yeah. at this point. And so then, let's see, we get our genetic results back in October and the microwave, microarray, totally normal, completely normal, didn't find a single thing. And so then they sit, tell us that we need to start looking into the next, uh, next level of genetic testing, I guess, if you will, which is whole exome sequencing. Whole exome sequencing is not like literally... Okay, I shouldn't say ever because I don't speak for the world, but it was not covered by insurance. Right. It was a whole process. It was, a process. It was like $15,000 out of pocket if we went through the University of Utah. It was like a whole big thing, back and forth thing. And we, did, we didn't have $15,000 for a genetic test. 
No. So we start looking into funding. We start looking into all these different programs and we're just trying to figure out how do we get him help? Because over these first few months of his life, he's doing new things all the time. And so we really need a diagnosis yeah. because you can't prepare for what's to come if you have no idea what to expect, especially because all these things that he's happening don't necessarily go in conjunction with one another. Yeah. Well, I and, feel like it was like a fight with insurance because insurance made it seem like, well, he's already here. He already has a diagnosis. What, what's it going to do to help you figure out a diagnosis? And we felt strongly opposed to that because if we knew what the diagnosis was, we knew how we could help him. How to prepare yeah, for what was to come. And that was super frustrating. It was so frustrating because they were like, yeah, he's here. You can't change it. Right. Whatever he has, you can't change it. So why do you need to know? And we were like, um, because he's having all of these other things happening as a result. And we can't help him because we don't know what no, he has. Right. So it was this whole big thing with insurance and they would not cover. I think we appealed it. I don't even know how many times and they wouldn't cover. They would not budge. And so we were like pretty defeated and pretty frustrated and something. Oh, I'll, I'll say that later. Um, so we're pretty frustrated and we're just trying to figure things out and we have more, and we're scheduling more appointments with geneticists to really try and come up with something that we can do so that's in october i'm so sorry i'm trying to get all right we had to pause really quickly because i needed some water and also jake's going to talk a little bit more because <laughs> he's nervous and i feel I'm... like i'm talking over him and i keep telling him speak up i will all right yeah, there's plenty of opportunity for me to speak up. I will. I will. I have no problems with that. All I right. think a lot of the stuff, like the, you know, me explaining stuff, like, again, it does feel like a lifetime ago. So I just want to make sure that you, I mean, you're more of the, like, the doctor. I think that one thing that everyone needs to realize is, like, with our relationship and being Stockton's parents, I think we both, I mean, obviously we both were there through everything. But, like, I, my dynamic was I was trying to work. Um, I was trying to make sure that we could afford to do what we needed to do, to, you know, be there. I think you were there for Dallas too, but like I needed to be kind of that one um, to be there for him. And then you were kind of like, we never wanted to do nursing. And I honestly feel like Stockton wouldn't have survived or made it for as long as he had if, if we did have nursing. And so while I was working and, you know, able to like deal with things emotionally, I was working and you, you were constantly with Stockton. Like you, like you guys became like one person. So yeah. I think that's one thing that's hard. Like you, you remember the stuff and you're really good at the stuff. Um, so I just want everyone to, you know, remember that, that I was there, we both were there, but you, you literally were with him 24 seven and yeah. I was with him as much as I could be. Right. But I also, you know, was working and doing that kind of stuff. And we'll talk more about that later. Okay. Cool. Cool. I just wanted to, everyone to know I'm not trying to talk over him. I'm just... No, she's a great storyteller too. Like, I think that part of my problem through this is there's things that I, maybe not purposely, but I've forgotten. Yeah. And this stuff, I think, is because you've lived it and wrote it down. Yeah. Um, it's still, you know, new, not new to you, but like... Well, and like, it. I am really great. Like, it, it we discussed earlier... Um, we we handled his life very differently while he was alive and processed everything yeah. that was happening very differently and 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 after as well but i'm really grateful because i i kept like i mean i kept like a very specific log like i 
I mean, I can go back through and we're not going to tell you about every single hospitalization and every single thing because it would just, the story would never end. So we're just going to hit the key points. But, but like, if I wanted to, I could be like, okay, December 16th, 2018, right. we were in here for this and this and this, and this is what they were looking for. And this is what tests they did. Like, I can tell you all of that. And it's because I, I kept very, very good record. And I'm like, in hindsight, really grateful yeah. for that because... I feel like I can I can keep his story and his life alive that way. Yeah. And I think I almost maybe I don't think I intentionally did that for that reason, but I I don't know. I don't know why I kept such a such yeah. a close log and detail, but like prepping for this for this podcast has been I mean everything. I have, well, I have I th- a record I of everything. Way, a way for you to deal with what was going on as well. Yeah, and it I'm helped me process and cope. I'm very like, I keep things bottled in as well, but for me to, like, really work through things, I actually work through them better if I, like, write them out. Uh, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast. I'm not really – like, it's interesting to hear probably to listen to this episode because I'm talking so much and you're being quiet. But in real life, I'm very introverted and Jake is quite a bit more – extroverted i don't I wouldn't yeah. say you're extroverted but no. you're definitely louder than i am yeah for sure like you're more talkative for sure you're easier to talk to strangers yeah, yeah. i well, talk I to a stranger that's... and i want to like hide in the corner behind right. everyone right and i think if we're going to tell the story like i want you to tell a story and then i'll share my experiences and kind of like my thought process through this too yeah okay so, so i'm just... not trying to not talk no it's just but... some interesting dynamics that i think are important to know is yeah. because for me like i'm so grateful i kept such a log but it also was very helpful in me processing yeah for sure was to write things out i'm more of a, a written word kind of gal i can i can really find my thoughts and my feelings that way and i was able to go to work put my head down process you know doing that kind of stuff and you were with him saw everything 24 7 and I think that was one of the only ways you could process. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. All right. So we are going to jump right back into October. Um, Like we were saying, October, we were, we got no genetic results and we're not getting the next testing. It doesn't look like anytime soon, if ever. Uh, So end of October, we decide to go to Boise to visit my grandma. We take a road trip to Boise. We lived in, uh, I don't know. We live in Utah. We're based in Utah. We lived in Preston, Idaho, off and on throughout all of this. We moved a lot because we were just trying to, I don't know, survive. We yeah, moved we're a trying lot. to do what was best for us financially, do what was best for the kids. Yeah, That's we're getting overwhelmed. We're getting medical bills yeah. left and right. So we were just doing our very best. Uh, but at the end of October, we decide we need a break. Stocky was doing good. He had had nothing crazy for a couple months mostly besides you know casting and stuff still not really gaining weight still not really gaining weight but we felt like okay we're gonna go and visit grandma so we go to boise to visit my grandma and we're there a couple days we're having a good time and all of a sudden overnight it was like he forgets how to breathe like he forgets how to breathe and i wish i could explain this over like like a story but you really have to see it and so I'll have to post a video or something like I'll, I'll post something like a, a synopsis or something on on the Instagram liberated the podcast is the Instagram for this for this um but you really have to see it because it was crazy because he was fine respiratory wise yeah and then overnight it was literally like 
He could not remember how to breathe. So he's having these severe retractions, extreme. They're terrifying. So my grandma lived like 40 minutes away from the nearest hospital. So we get him to the hospital in Meridian. Do you remember this? Yeah. And they, so we get him to the Meridian hospital and they ambulance him to downtown Boise to St. Luke's. St. Luke's, that's right. St. Luke's. And they admit him immediately into the ICU there. And they're doing all this stuff. They're doing scopes, looking for structural. Again, we're looking for structural reasons. Like if you remember, we were we were scoping, looking for structural reasons for the vomiting through the nose. Found nothing. So they start to scope, and they're looking for structural reasons for this, like pneumonia too, or like anything like that. Respiratory distress. So he did. He did have a a uh, a lung full of fluid. Yeah, that's right. In Boise, he had a lung full of fluid, and. It's because he aspirates. He aspirates his secretions. He aspirates everything. Well, he aspirated, sorry, everything. So he had a lung full of fluid. So they put him on a bunch of medications. He was in the ICU there in Boise for um, a week. For a week. And then they they cleared us. They didn't necessarily clear us. No. They said... We, like, this is too serious. We can't handle this here. Get, because people act, like, just for context, Primary Children's is the go-to hospital for, like, our surrounding states. So if there's a child in need of anything, like, they'll send from Boise, from, I think they even send from Vegas, don't they, to primaries? I'm not sure. I think I've met people from Vegas. I don't know. Like, don't quote me on that. But I, I know our surrounding states, they send people to Primary Children's Hospital here in Salt Lake City. Uh, so they said, look, drive him to primary. That's your guys' base hospital anyway. Just get him there immediately. So we're like, okay. So we get in the car and we drive like crazy to primaries. Um, we had been on the phone. We had an appointment waiting with ENT. He laughs. Hold on. You tell this story. No, you t- you get to this point. He laughs because he knows this is where my full psycho came out. Yeah, I thought I was going to have to like intervene between her and the doctor, but we can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we drive from Boise to Salt Lake City like as quickly as possible. We get to our appointment with ENT. Our ENT was out of town, so they... They gave us an appointment with the on-call ENT, whom I will not mention my name because I still want to fight this guy every time I see him. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh, sorry. It's it's funny to think back. Um, So we go to this appointment. Our baby is barely breathing. I mean, he is like, like, I cannot explain these retractions. Like, you would have to see it. You would have to see it. It was horrible. It was devastating. It was terrifying. Yeah. Like, we literally thought he was going to die. Yeah. And the doctor says, he's like, okay, well, maybe we need to reevaluate his Chiari. So we need to get him in for an MRI to see if his Chiari has progressed and if we need to decompress that because maybe the pressure on the brainstem is causing this change in inter-respiratory. Uh, and so... He's like, well, we don't have an MRI available for like a month. So let's get you an appointment. We'll get you on the books and come back in a month. And this is when I snapped because they scoped him and everything. I'm like, structurally, he looks fine, blah, 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 blah. Our books don't show this. Our medical records, history, studies, all the BS stuff doesn't show 
anything wrong. Right. And I was like, well, good for you. The scope doesn't show anything, but just watch the kid try to breathe. Do right. you remember this? Yeah. I was like, that's so wonderful. But if you send us home, he will die. Like, we don't have a month to wait for an MRI. And he was like, well, that's all we can do. We have no, we, there's nothing else we could possibly do. And I like stormed out. So you tell this part of the story. Well, so I, this is what I remember. I don't know. Um, I remember Cash going, going to the bathroom and down the, I left the, I, yeah. I was pissed. Yeah, she was pissed. I so said some, went, some unkind words. Yeah. So she went to the bathroom and as I'm waiting for her in the bathroom, uh, this doctor comes by, um, and I don't remember. He like exactly followed what, us out of the clinic yeah, down the hall. I don't remember the words exactly he said, but he says I'm like, you know, you really need to talk to her. It's going to be okay. Like, tell her to calm down. Tell her to calm down. You do not ever <laughs> tell a woman to calm down. And, and Cash overheard that and came like storming out of the restroom. Um, and I and I didn't know what to do. I, I thought that we were going to go to jail or something. <laughs> um, but it was a very awkward moment. And I went um, full crazy. Yeah, she I went was... full crazy. And I think that they, after that, they realized that they needed to take her serious. So, no, nope. no, 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 that's not true. So, I yell at this guy. He's telling me to calm down. I keep yelling and I just tell Jake, I was like, let's go. Yeah. And we storm out and get, we get to the car. Uh, my aunt is a nurse. So, I call my aunt sobbing. I send her this video. I'm like, what do I do? The doctor just sent us home. And she's looking at this video and she's like, you need to call your pediatrician right away. I think she knows our pediatrician. I don't, know, probably, I don't remember correctly. If I, like, you have, you guys have to remember this is in 2014, so this is nine years ago. So we're we're doing our best here. Um, so we call the pediatrician. Like I said, he is a huge advocate for Stockton. He had seen everything that he'd been through, and he goes, "Look, guys, go to the ER. They cannot like this. Is why we have an emergency room." Go to the ER. They have on-call people for the MRI, but you can only do that through the emergency room. Just go in there and throw a fit. And I was like, all right. Yeah. So we go to the ER. He's immediately admitted to the floor. So when I say the floor, that means, so like in, when you're admitted to the hospital, you can go to different units, right? And the floor is, is like the basic level. So you have the floor, um, you have the PICU, which is the ICU, pediatric ICU. You have the NICU, which is for newborns. You have a neurotrauma unit. And then you have, like, surgery but and, and the, the cancer unit. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's – is that all of them? Well, I think there's I don't, I don't, don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um, but the floor is, like, the basic children's floor. So they admit him to the floor. And he's struggling to breathe. They're doing more scopes. We can't figure out what is happening. And a doctor comes in, and this just happened to happen this way. Doctor comes in and examines him. I remember this doctor very, very clearly. I won't mention her name as well, but uh, she's examining him, and he has a seizure. And she looks at me, and she goes, there's nothing in his chart that shows he has seizures. Why is this not documented? I was like, well, if you go back to his chart all the way back to... August, right? No, no, no. July? If you go back to July, your records will show that we came in here claiming that he has seizures and asking for help with seizures. For three months now, we've been begging for seizure help. She's like, well, he's he has seizures. He's yeah. definitely having a seizure. I'm like, yeah, I know. We've been telling you that. I, I will yeah. never forget. I was like, yeah, I know. I've been trying to tell you this four months now. 
And so they were in shock and could not believe that. Uh, so they, and then his respiratory uh, status got worse. So he was transferred to the PICU, which is pediatric intensive care. And hooked up to an EEG to measure these non-seizures that were seizures. That were seizures, yeah. Uh, so they move him to the PICU. A scope shows nothing structural. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't match our medical books. This doesn't match our research. Um, so we're getting that a lot. Um, we're really trying to figure out if this is if this is due to his Chiari malformation. Can't figure that out. Uh, so we we had a, a care conference. We had two. So we had a care conference with ENT and with neurosurgery. And they're disagreeing because structurally ENT is saying there's nothing structurally wrong to be causing this. It has to be brain. Neurosurgery is saying brain hasn't changed. What do we do? So they scope him. They're like, look, like he has kind of a narrow airway, but not like a huge, like, so they're just like, okay, this is the least invasive option is to do a surgery called a superglottoplasty and that's to widen his airway. And so they're like, we like, I, I will never forget this. Cause they were like, it's really hard to recommend this surgery because there's no evidence showing that he needs it. Right. But we can see by his respiratory distress that he needs something. Right. And this is the least invasive least option. Invasive, yeah. So we're all like, I think hoping that this works, but not feeling too optimistic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they do the super glottoplasty on Halloween. His very first Halloween, he had surgery. Uh, it didn't work. No. It didn't, didn't work. Do anything. It Just didn't do anything. Put him in a lot of pain. It did nothing. And so uh, we're moving into November now. He's still in the hospital. Been in the hospital for, I don't know, a week or so. Uh, the surgery didn't work. He's still struggling for every single breath. He's still struggling, right? And so they decide to do a spinal tap to test his CSF fluid. So CSF fluid is cerebral spinal fluid. Uh, to see if they can find anything, check for, like, check his neurotransmitters. They were looking at different things. Um, so that's happening early. So I have it written down November November 3rd. November 4th, he starts puking through his Nissen, which is supposed to be not, not a possible. thing. Yeah. Not a thing. Starts puking through his Nissen. His seizure activity increases to 10 to 15 seizures a day. We have a big care conference this time. So they set up a care conference because at this point, Stockton had, base, like, nobody knew. No right. doctor knew. Everyone was, like, scratching their heads. They're like, this doesn't make any sense. We don't understand. Well, I think what's hard, too, is, like, I feel like when you get admitted or you go through, like, the hospital, every time you get admitted, there's a new doctor. There's new doctors, yeah. new doctors, new doctors. Because doctors, it's the floor was, team. Right. And so I think that was super frustrating. And we finally were able to get doctors together. Yes. Kind of new stuff because it seemed like every single time I just said, you know, tell them the same story over and over and again. And everyone's thinking, oh my gosh, these guys are crazy. Yeah. These guys are paranoid. So I thought this, this is the first true. time that it was like, you're like, all right, let's get everybody on the same, the same yeah. role. Yeah. So sure. we have a huge care conference in like, it was catered. Like they brought in food. Do you remember this? Yeah. They brought in food. Um, It was in the, uh, oh, man. it was like in like at the auditorium or something. Yeah, it was in the auditorium. Um, there was like a stage. We sat up on the stage. There was food. We had, I have it written down here. ENT was there. So ENT is ear, nose, and throat. 
uh, ENT was there, neurosurgery was there, pulmonology was there, pulmonology's lungs, general surgery was there, genetics was there, and then his floor team was there. So the floor team is every time you're admitted to the hospital, there's a different team on rotation. So it really just depends on who is working in the hospital at that time. So we have this huge care conference. And then we've already tried the superglottoplasty. All scopes are looking like he's fine. He's having all these seizures. He's having all this stuff that doesn't make any sense medically. And so everyone's just kind of fighting. Like, what do we do? The only real options at this point are decompress the Chiari, which is brain surgery, right. or place a tracheostomy, which is also a very serious surgery and a very serious change to life right. and quality of life. And that, so I remember back and forth, Chiari or trach, Chiari or trach, Chiari or trach. These are our only two options at this point. And I don't remember exact, I, if I, like, if I remember correctly, I think we decided on the trach because they said this could be a product of the Chiari, but we know that his respiratory function right. is compromised, right? So right. what if we do a Chiari decompression, this brain surgery and his, his uh, respiratory just gets worse. So, so everyone agreed that a trach was the safest bet because Regardless of why this was happening, there's no evidence or anything to explain why. They couldn't explain why this is happening. All we knew is it was happening and we had to do something about it. And so everyone settled on placing a trach because regardless of if it looked like a thing, he needed a secure airway. Right. Exactly. I think that was neurosurgery's big problem was... They didn't want to do... You could have a safe airway if they're going to do a massive brain, brain surgery. surgery. Yeah. So so we settled on the trach because we're like, look, we don't know why this is happening, but obviously he needs he needs a secure airway. That's the issue is, is respiratory right now is the issue. And so we settled on a trach uh, to give him a, a secure airway. Uh, so on November 7th, one of my like one of my trigger days, it's interesting because things happen in life and like with PTSD thing, like dates are really, well, we can get into that later, but on uh, November 7th, they place a tracheostomy. So tracheostomy goes right into your trachea. Uh, one thing they do not warn you about, or they did, maybe they do, but they didn't warn us, um, is the trach, the trach is placed below the vocal cords. So like we were so worried about him getting air and things. And I think maybe this is why we weren't warned. And, and I think if we had logically had had time to really think about the procedure and process, we would have, we would have been prepared, but I, I think we were just like, get our kid breathing yeah. and we weren't like focused on anything else. But one thing that we weren't ready for is for him to not have a voice anymore. Nothing. Yeah. I, so, you can see him cry, but you can't hear him cry. Yeah. So I'll never forget walking into the ICU after his surgery when they allowed us to see him. He's sitting there crying with this breathing tube in his throat. And you can hear nothing. And I wasn't prepared for that. And like if I sit back and I think about it logically, it makes sense right. because the trick well, is placed we below the vocal cords. But we weren't prepared for it at all. And and uh I don't think I I was ready to lose my son's voice. Right. You know, and to not hear his voice again. Uh, so that I remember that being really difficult. And then uh so a couple couple hours after they placed his trach. He, Jake was looking at him and he's like turning blue. Yeah. He's turning blue and we're, and so we go to, to get the nurse 
and they come in and his stats are dropping like quick like really yeah, quick because him like there for a while like looking at him he seemed a little peaceful he was ha- kind of happy like for after having drake surgery he's you know just chilling and then like i feel like instantly like quickly yeah it just it went from like being okay to not yeah real quick yeah so they they bring in the crash cart and they call a cold code blue he starts to code and they start um they put a bag one thing about the trach is like if you are coding it's very easy to bag you because it attaches to a trach really easily so they put a bag on him and they start bagging him to break to give him breaths it's getting worse and the bagging him is making it worse and and they're just bagging him and they're doing all this stuff and they can't figure out why they're literally giving him breaths and he's getting worse and uh he coded he died right he died he flatlined and this doctor there's i I will never feel like i have this burned into my brain there was there had been like 20 people in that room were pushed up back against the glass they bring in a social worker to to talk you through kind of what's happening to help you almost process i think they tried to kick us out and i might have gone crazy yeah i mean yeah it's it's hard to watch. Yeah. And this, I think, was the first time I ever realized that, like... This, this is was... the first time that we realized that whatever he has could kill him. Yeah. Like, whatever... Like, this was the big moment where we were, like... Because up until then, everything had been, okay, you're going to get through this, and then he's going to be okay. You're going to get through this, and he's going to be okay. You're, you're going to get him through this, and then he's going to be okay. I don't even know how many times we've been told that. Yeah. And then we watch him die. Yeah. He's seven months old, and we watch him die. And... We're up against the glass and we're just watching and staring at the monitor and staring at him. And the the one doctor, I know his name, but I won't say it. Uh, he comes in and he just like commands the room. He saved his life yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, comes in because everyone's panicking because they're like, this doesn't make any sense. What do I do? Like, it's a whole, it's, it's, it's chaos. Chaos, yeah. And he comes in there and he just starts yelling. Everyone quiets down. He brings in an ultrasound and he's looking and the trach is in the wrong spot. So instead of the trach being in the trachea, the trach is sitting in the layer between the skin. So when they're bagging him, they're putting all of this air into his chest. They think they're putting air into his lungs, but what they were actually doing was putting air into his chest. All of that pressure collapsed his lungs and stopped his heart. So the trach was placed wrong, and it killed him. And he was down for four and a half minutes, uh, pulled it out, put it back in where it needed to go, uh, did CPR for four and a half minutes. He came back. Uh, got got, a little needle in his... They, yeah, they they put some... They popped him basically like a balloon yeah. on both sides. They, like, put these needles in and basically popped him like a balloon, and then you have to push for days, and it, like, feels like Rice Krispies yeah. when there's air in your chest that you have to pop. It's yeah. really, really weird. Uh... But he came back. He came back. And it was honestly pretty miraculous after we were really scared about, um, like, a cardiac arrest that long and not having oxygen to your brain that long. We were terrified. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know if he was going to be brain dead. We didn't know. We didn't know a lot. Um, A couple days later, he opened his eyes. He opened his eyes. And they... They were like, well, we're not sure his mental status and the damage to his brain due to the lack of oxygen. Uh, so just watch him. And I, I'll never forget this because he started looking for his binky. 
And he loved his binky. Yeah, he loved his binky. He loved his binky. And so he started behaving like himself. And so they were like, okay, maybe, maybe he's okay. And so he's in the hospital for a while. This is when he falls in love with music. Do you remember this? Uh, yeah. We'd sit in the ICU. We were, we were there for probably about a month, I would, if I had to guess. Three, four weeks? Yeah, it was, it was one of the longest days that we've had since, since then. Um, that was the longest day at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember back. Like, there's a picture. It was one of my favorite pictures. Was it after the trach was placed or after he? His little smile. Yeah. Yeah. It's was after. That right after the mm-hmm. trach. It was but... a few days after, and it was right after he opened his eyes. Yeah. And it was his first smile. Was yeah. a couple days after the trach was placed, yeah. and he's asleep, and it's just like the sweetest, sweetest thing in the yeah. world. Yeah, I would say that moment probably for me, it was probably like the second worst night of my life. Like with that when he coded. Like as a parent, what do you mean? During during that code, like as a parent watching your child die, like that's something that I'll never forget. And that's so that's the second, probably the second worst thing that in my mind yeah. that I've seen was Stockton. You're, and the first was when he actually right. Passed. Okay, right. sorry, I'm just trying to. Yeah, no, no, no you're good. I, like... it was, yeah, and we'll get to that when he you know passed away. But I think that. When he actually passed away, it was more peaceful, but because this was more like, it was like crazy. It was it was, it was, it was chaos. so crazy. It was chaos. And, it was chaos. And so it's definitely, and I'll never forget. And 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 what what ugh, words are hard. What I will say that is different is that um, we didn't know he was gonna like when he eventually when he passed away for real. Uh, we knew that was coming. Right. Uh, at right. this time, we didn't we didn't. Death had never been discussed. Like death was not on the table. Right. It was not even in the freaking room. Like right. it was, it was not a thing that we were prepared for. Yeah, and what happened with that trade place was is like one of the rare things. Like, yeah, and I mean, like you can go into the nitty gritty of it and like malpractice or whatever. It was honestly a human mistake, and I think something that we learned quickly with Stockton is that like doctors are just people practicing medicine and that's something that i say a lot especially talking about stockton because people are always like well well, why didn't you sue why didn't you this and this and that and it's like you have to understand the context of the situation the context of the circumstance you have to you have to also consider how complicated he was he didn't make any sense and that ent doctor was great he was amazing they changed procedures or what they do after Uh that surgery because of stockton so yeah they learned a lot of lessons and that is that's something that like it is important to know and if you take like doctors or human beings practicing medicine and that is i think at first when stockton was born i went to them and thought they had to have every single answer because they're the professionals but they're just people practicing medicine and you have to get you have to even if you have to give room for error because humans error um and that's something that i i remember that but that hospitalization is when he fell in love with music that's something that was awesome about him is he loved music and he fell in love with uh i think his first like big loves were ron pope and jasmine thompson that's all he ever listened to oh we would just sit in the icu and i remember i would turn on pandora uh, and he would just, oh, he would be so happy. It would calm him down. It would make him so peaceful. Jasmine Thompson, we love her so much. And Ron Pope is amazing. And he just, he adored them both. So it's, you guys should look them up if, if, if you want to. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we love them. And Stucky loved them. Uh, but yeah, so he, he came back. He made it through that. 
and uh we took him home like a week later yeah. literally only like a week uh so let's see we're moving into december we get home we're cuddling we're happy we're just like completely in heaven i guess because he had just we had just lost him and got him back so we're just like soaking in every second feeling extremely grateful extremely blessed i would say because we could have lost our son and we didn't and so we're just like overwhelmed by a, i think i think probably a lot of different emotions because we had fine we had realized that this could this thing could be life or death right and but also on the other hand we're like had just witnessed this incredible miracle and so it's a complicated feeling but we're just home kind of soaking all of that in and right. trying to process all of that so that gets us through november and into december in december we find out he can see he can actually see we find out he's not blind that was very exciting uh for us uh jake's work did a tree for stockton at the festival of trees and that was really incredible his his story really had started to I guess spread at this point. Yeah. Uh, and I I started really documenting things because we had we have we have a lot of family members, and I was I was feeling overwhelmed, and so I started just posting on the internet uh, the updates because I couldn't keep up with texting and calling, and I couldn't. So I would just do one update, and it would just go out, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Uh, but that started to spread because yeah. because. Because one thing that you need to understand is, like, you'll hear all this stuff that Stockton went through, but I wish you could see him while he went through it because he would be going through all of this and he would just smile and his demeanor, he was so happy and he was so cuddly and just, like, the sweetest little baby and you would think that he would be, you wouldn't think that was the case, but if you saw him, so his his story started to really spread because because he was amazing yeah and he was just he was this miracle and he he was the most incredible thing honestly and and people could see that in his photos you know he'd be in the hospital hooked up to all this stuff and he'd just be laughing and he oh, he was the best yeah uh so let's see december we meet mallory his girlfriend you tell us about mallory Oh, me tell you about Mallory. Well, um, I honestly don't remember like how exactly we met Mallory, but we met Mallory through Morgan. Through Morgan, okay. Um, see, I don't remember everything, but what I do remember is uh, there's not really one person that made him happier uh, than Mallory. Um, she was his great love. Yeah. We always tease. She's his a, great love. Literally, like as soon as she would walk into the room, like, and he heard her voice, like he would light up probably more than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and he could be in pain, but if he saw her, heard her, he, like, it would just change. She everything. was like his angel. They yeah. just had, so Mallory, so let me back it up. Mallory, uh, volunteered for this charity called Children in the Earth, which is a local charity here in Utah. And she volunteered for them. And her best friend is my sister's best friend's sister, if that makes sense. <laughs> Anyway, so it's a small world, uh, but we didn't know Mallory, but my sister's best friend is like a sister to me. So she said, I, there's someone that I need you to meet that works with this charity that I, I think you guys need to be a part of to help with Stockton. So so that that's how we were all introduced. And when Mallory came to meet Stockton, it was like an instant thing. Yeah. 
it was like they just connected and they had like this bond immediately that I don't think I'll ever really be able to explain. Um, but she just, like, he loved her so much and she loved him and they just had it a bond immediately. And it's something that I'm like, beyond. I will never, I will never, ever, ever. And you'll hear about her throughout his whole story because she was a, a huge part of his life. Like, arguably one of the most important people right. in his entire life. Uh -huh. um, and he... He adored her and she was his, his angel. And, um, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> like, I just, I can never like thank her enough for everything she did for him. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that. I'm sure. But, um, we're, we're moving into Christmas. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, we saw a lot of, a lot of good in people when yeah. Stockton was alive. We had a lot of support and help and love financially christmas holidays um we couldn't we were kids we were drowning in all this medical debt and uh and we had a lot of people show up oh and... for sure i think that was a huge thing like i don't know it's hard you you hear the bad of people like the news and you, i think you see bad things and you you focus on that but like the amount of people that like grouped together for our family it was amazing like I don't know, holidays, didn't matter what it was. There would be people sending us, you know, mail or leave stuff on our doorstep for Christmas. Um, I mean, people just... And we couldn't have provided it. Like, yeah. there was, we didn't have a chance of providing it at that stage. And yeah. people were amazing. Um, so let's see, uh, December, um, he's home from the hospital. He's got his trach. He's going to get better, they said. He's going to get better. He's gonna, we I just think we get, saw some signs too. Like, he's gonna get through this yeah. hurdle. He's gonna start growing because he's had the the Nissan and the G two, but now he's now he's got a secured airway and 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 something you have to know is you know kids get trachs, and they get them taken out. Yeah. Like a trach doesn't mean you're gonna have a trach forever by any means, and so they just keep saying he's gonna get better. He's gonna get better. He's gonna get better. That's the end of December. Is that like an actress that had a trach? A Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. End of December, I think we're feeling pretty hopeful. Yeah. We're feeling like, all right, like we have been, like these hurdles have been one after the other, after the other, after the other. It felt like we couldn't come up for air. And I think in December we felt like we could come up for air and we were starting to feel like yeah. we could, he was going to be okay. Well, like, and as I scary think, as the trach was, I think it was one of the best things for him. Oh, for sure. Well, and you have to do like. With the G2, with the trig, you have to do all these training and all these classes. And that was really intimidating to be sent home with, like, a trig bag with, like, an actual bag to bag yeah. him if he coded at home and things. So, like, these things were overwhelming and we're still 20 through, were we 23 at this point? No, yeah. no, we're 22 or 23 at this point. Um, so this is, like, it's 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 overwhelming. We're, we're home with all this equipment, with pulse oximeters, we're watching heart rate, like it's, but I think we're starting to feel like, okay, he's going to be okay. They're, they're telling us he's going to be okay. So we need to believe that. So we're feeling pretty hopeful throughout most of December was a beautiful month. Um, January, 2015, uh, we're back in the hospital, increased seizures, 30 a day, at least 30 a day is what I've got. Um, we're doing, um, we're talking about a repeat MRI, uh, failure to thrive, still not gaining weight. Um, they started talking and they started wondering if he was being neglected. Do you remember this? Yeah. They were asking if we were 
um, not feeding him if we were whatever. And then I remember going like, like my psycho showed so much during his life. Yeah. Mama bear. Uh, mama bear. bear. I'm going to call it mama bear instead of psycho. So if we can just like, that's my rewind. Mama bear, not psycho. Yeah. Not psycho. Um, I remember when they started bringing up this whole neglect conversation being like, I remember, do you remember this specifically? I was like, why don't you go back through his hospital records and look at all the times I've called, all the times I have been in the doctor, I have been in the ER fighting for this kid's life and tell me that those are parents who are neglecting their kid. And they were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think they're like, as a doctor, they're so focused on like book, you know, what's part of book, textbook. And I think that was hard for them because like, it's not what they learn in school. It's not how 99% of the yeah. kids are. And so, like, I can kind of see why they were doing it. Just because, yeah. like, they'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. And that, I think that was frustrating for us. Yeah, but also, I want to fight someone. I know you did. Um, Because, like, don't throw those words to me. Uh, but anyway, so he's getting, he's doing bad in January. We're back in the hospital. We're having all these conversations. I'm trying to fight this doctor that's. Shall not be named. No, that shall not be named. How many doctors was there that you wanted to fight? I think only two. Two. Okay. I think those are just the two. Yeah. Um, but we had to deal with them for the the we rest did. of his life. And but I, I think I think the one you had out of the bathroom. I think in the end we kind of started the kind no. of no. I, I still don't that. like that guy. Still don't like that guy. <laughs> um, just kidding. I'm sure, like with what he knew, but at the same time, also like, well, whatever. Um. Anyway, so we're having these conversations. He's failure to thrive. He's teeny, teeny, tiny. Um, and they're telling us maybe, he, okay, we had just had like this glorious month of he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And then we're in the hospital in January. And they're saying, well, maybe he won't turn one. Maybe he's not going to see his first birthday. Okay. And we're talking about January. His first birthday's in May. So talk about like some stress and anxiety. Hold on. I'm flipping the page of my notes. So it gets through that hospitalization and we're feeling like, okay, maybe you won't turn one. So now we're going back down. We're kind of losing hope again. We're having more increased seizures. We're, we're doing rescue meds. We're increasing our anti-epileptics. I think we're on two at this point. Um, so late February, we're starting to look at, okay, he's still not growing. He's still in newborn clothing in February of 2015. Uh, so we do a repeat MRI and they decide it's time to decompress the Chiari, uh, the Chiari malformation, Chiari malformation, which is putting pressure on the brainstem. They decide it's time to decompress that to see if that's possibly what's causing all these delays. Cause he's still having cognitive delays, developmental delays. He's not growing. He's still aspirating. He's still not figuring things out. He's still puking past his Nissen, which is not supposed to be a thing. He's doing all of these things that are not supposed to be happening so they say all right it's time uh so they do an mri on the mri they also and they did an mri and a ct mri um i don't think it had progressed i think it had just stayed the same but on ct we find hydrocephalus hydrocephalus is fluid in the ventricles of the brain uh so they don't think it's like a like an going to be an ongoing thing so anyway so they they schedule him for surgery, Chiari decompression surgery, uh, early March. We do 
QR decompression surgery. And he, so what that is, is they remove part of the skull. And like, remember, I'm not a doctor. And this is a very long time ago. So they remove part of the skull and like, I, th- I want to say like a couple of the top vertebrae. Is that right? I think that sounds about right. Um, and basically they just make space for the brain so that it relieves the pressure from the brainstem. So, so they, they do that surgery and they put in a temporary drain to drain the, the fluid for the hydrocephalus. Right. So they put in a temporary drain. Well, two days after that, um, Stockton's vitals change and they change significantly. And I know Stockton's vitals at this point, like, like the back of my hand. Like I know this kid's what his heart rate's supposed to be at. I know what his heart rate's supposed to be at when he's mad. I know what it's supposed to be at when he's sleep. I know all the things about all the vitals, like to, to the T. Right. Uh, so I see this change in vitals, significant change in vitals. And I pointed out to Jake and he's like, yeah, I noticed that too. Uh, Cause you have to remember like Jake is, Jake's working and stuff, but he's like a thousand percent on hand. Like he's dealing with all the same stuff as me. So he knows his vitals as well. And so we're both, I'm like, look at that. And he's like, I was noticing that. And so we bring it up to his nurse and we're like, his vitals are changed significantly. And she has a very logical explanation. It makes a lot of sense. She's like, well, we just relieve pressure from his brainstem. His new vitals are what vitals in children his age are supposed to look like. And so I think she thinks we're being paranoid, which maybe we were, yeah. um, because his vitals had, had gone to a place where they were supposed to be originally. And I was holding him to this standard of what they had been prior to surgery. Um, so I was like, okay, well that makes sense. And then Jake had to go to work and he worked in Logan. Logan? I think Logan by then. Yeah. Um, so we're in the hospital in Salt Lake city, Logan, Utah is about two hours away which is where Jake worked and he had, he needed to go back because he'd taken time off for the surgery, but he needed to go back to work. And I remember right before he left, you were super uneasy to leave. Like, and, and the, the explanation, the nerd, nerd, the nerd, the nurse, nerdy nurse, the nurse had given us was logical. It made a lot of sense, but we both like couldn't shake it. Yeah. And he was, Jake was leaving and he was like, please call me if anything happens. And I just could not settle. Like I could not settle my nerves. I just had this, sick sick feeling jake left i had this sick feeling in my stomach and i was just like look something like something is wrong something is wrong i hear you i hear your logic it makes a lot of sense to me i get it but something's wrong i'm telling you something is wrong and they're like he's fine he's fine he's fine um and then it had been hours and it was late at night and i was like crying i was like i just need you to check like i just need you to check so they take him down for a ct late at night in like the middle of the night actually i think yeah yeah and they were working overnights uh, at that time yeah you were working graveyards and so you gotta come closer to the speaker i'm i'm here i'm right here uh and so they take him down to ct and i'm sitting there and they the doctor comes into his room runs into his room and is like i had fallen asleep it's the middle of the night my kid had just had brain like she like i had fallen asleep on the couch and she shakes me awake. She's like, you have to meet me in the ICU. Um, Stockton has severe hydrocephalus. And we're giving him concentrated sodium. I want to say sodium. Uh, until we can get him into a surgery to have a shunt placed. Uh, otherwise, he's going to go brain dead. Yeah. Uh, so he was. he would have died. Like, if we had not been, like, 
like your intuition is a real thing as a parent. Uh, but if we had not pushed as hard as we did, uh, he would have gone brain dead. So they found that out. They found that they they give him this concentrated dose of sodium. They rush him into surgery to place a shunt, which is a drain. They put it. It's a a drain from your brain, the ventricles, and it drained into his abdomen. Yeah. And then it, the the fluid was absorbed. It's absorbed by the body in your abdomen. So the shunt was this thing. So it's like a little port in his head, and then the so the drain would go down behind his ear and it like all the way down to his belly. So you could feel it through his skin, like yeah, behind his ear. He had a, yeah, a big bump on his head, which is where the port was. Uh, so they did that and called Jake. He rushes back to the hospital there. He's in his second brain surgery in two days. We don't know if he's coming out of it. We don't know if it's too, if they found it too late. We don't know if he's brain dead. We don't know anything. And I'll never forget this. Primary Children's is attached to the University of Utah Hospital. And we'd go there all the time because they had the good coffee over there. They had Starbucks, yeah. 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 They had Starbucks over there. So it's the middle of the night and we walk over across the bridge to the University of Utah Hospital. And in the window of the gift shop, there's a sign. Uh, and I don't know why I'm mentioning this, but it was like for us, it, it like really spoke to us in yeah. that moment. But the sign said, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist, that is all. And at that time, we just, like, we needed to hear that. It's because we had never, like, life is so fragile, and we were really learning that hard lesson. Yeah. Um, and so it just really spoke to us, and I don't really know why I needed to mention that. But we found the sign. It, like, gave us some a good feeling, I guess. And we went back and stopped in. A couple days later, woke up again. Yeah. And he was okay. Uh, so, but two brain surgeries in two days, almost died again. Uh, I would say we are not doing so well at this point. You and I, like his parents were, were really struggling. Um, but he gets home. He gets home from that hospitalization. He survived it. And he starts growing and improving and he's starting to move his wrists and he's starting to move his limbs and doing all this fun stuff. And we're like, oh, maybe it was the pressure on the brainstem. So we're starting to reinstate our hope and our whatever. Right. I don't know. Whole uh, different kid, it seemed like. Whole different kid. Yeah. Couple weeks. All right. So we're starting to see all this hope in Stockton. And then a couple weeks after that, he, I, I, I was filling his head and I found some, like a fluid pocket. Um, and we thought that we thought that his brain was possibly hemorrhaging. So he was he was actually ambulanced and life lighted from Ogden to Salt Lake so that he was life lighted for the first time. And it kept swelling and it kept swelling. It got to the size of a softball and it's this huge thing in the back of his head in one of the sites where the temporary drain for the shunt was placed during the surgery. Uh, and it kept swelling. It got to the size of a softball, but they determined that it was fluid and that it would absorb. And so we were sent home and, and it was okay. Uh, April, we're moving into April, we're home, he's super happy, he's gaining weight, he's like a whole different kid. Yeah, a whole different kid. And, uh, and then they, then they say again, he's gonna be okay, he's gonna be okay again. Like, all of a sudden, we're gonna, we're, he's gonna be fine again, he's gonna make it through this. Um, we move into May, and, uh, our baby who in January wasn't gonna see one, he turned one. Turned one, He yeah. turned one on May 5th, and, and it was, it was incredible, it was a huge blessing. Um, I think... For now, this is good. This might be like a many parts story, uh, just because 
we're running out of time. I know we're already at an hour and a half. Um, and I got to go to work and Jake has to get himself and the kids to a, to a family party for Easter. So we're going to kind of wind this one up at year one. Hopefully we can, I don't know. It's hard because I feel like we're not, I just don't want to mess up the story. No, for sure. I don't think we need to rush it. I don't um, want to rush it. So I hope you guys are patient with us as we try to tell his story in, in the way that he deserves for it to be told and to really honor him. That's the biggest goal here is to tell his story in a way that, that honors him, his memory. Um, and I don't want to shortchange that. And I really think it's important to give his story, Jake's experience with it and my experience with it. So on the next episode, we'll move into year two. Hopefully we can get through more than one year yeah, on that episode. Um, but all of that being said, do you have anything else you want to say? No, I think on the next one, before we start, we'll kind of wrap up like the first year and kind of like. Yeah, we just looked at the clock and we're like, oh my goodness, we actually need to like be in the car 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, so right. we're going to wrap right. this one up. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being patient. I hope this made some sense. If you guys want like have any questions for both of us or for just for Jake or for myself. If you go to liberated the podcast on Instagram, there's a post that is actually just for questions. And so we'll definitely be working through those as we tell Stockton story. It is looking like it's going to be a multiple episode, like might be three, four episodes yeah. to tell this story and that's okay. So let us know if you have any questions about any of it, if there's anything we can, we can really expand on or just let us know. Um, that being said, thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for all of the love, the support, the shares. Um, they really do go a long way. So I hope you got some sort of value out of this. I know that's always the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. And I think, like I said, as we go on, I think that we'll have more experiences and, you know, I'll share yeah. my thoughts and stuff. I think, I think the biggest thing is like the first year was really brutal. It was really, really brutal. And one thing I need you guys to know is his whole life wasn't that you know he has a, he 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 got to have a lot of really really good as well um but that first year was just uh, hell like if i'm being honest with you yeah. uh so I, I can't wait to get into to all the good as well so we're looking forward to that i can't wait to see you on the next one hopefully on the next one jake's gonna be a little more comfortable a little more chatty we'll see if we can make that happen i hope you guys have a great 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 day bye say bye bye <laughs>